Amen. Is this thing on? Can you hear me? Oh, oh, there I am. I always think you can hear me when you can't hear me, but then when I know you can hear me, I know that you can hear me. Does that make sense? Nope? Good. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to the bridge. Man, we, we counted it up a couple of days ago, and it has been a just over two months since our last bridge. Isn't that crazy? Like, it was over two months ago since our last bridge. And I guess, I mean, part of that is because we take off because we don't want you to fail all of your finals, and then you, you tell your parents that it was our fault. So that's partially it. Hope you didn't fail your finals. Hope if you did, there's always a new semester, right? There's always a new semester. Uh, if this is your first time with us, we are so, so glad you're here. I know jumping into a new place can be kind of crazy, uh, but we love that you're here. We want to do everything that we can to make sure you feel connected, that you are growing in your relationship with the Lord. And I mean, what we do, what we love to do at the bridge is open God's word. We love to worship. Uh, and these are all students that are in our ministry that are using their gifts uh, for the glory of the Lord. And that's awesome. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about how we as a ministry, um, what we want to do as a college ministry is be a ministry of students to students. Uh, that this is not uh, the Christian life or the Christian faith is not just a bunch of professionals while everybody else just kind of watches and marvels at really cool people doing really cool things. Not that this was not really cool and it's, it's okay to notice that, but by and large, we as a people are a body and all of us have a role. All of us have something that we can do. And so uh, we are going to start the book of Colossians. So if you have your Bible, turn to Colossians. I was studying this over uh, the uh, Christmas break and it was awesome. It was absolutely incredible. It has been so just exciting and kind of exhilarating and even refreshing for me uh, to see the way Paul walks with people uh, in the word. These are a bunch of uh, baby believers, new Christians in the faith, and uh, Paul's never really, he's never met these people before, and we're going to get into that, but uh, the, the church in Colossae, or Colossae, I don't really know, I wasn't there, but uh, I will probably go interchangeably back and forth between those. Uh, the church in Colossae is a, man, it's a pretty crazy place. If you've never read about it, I encourage you to. I'll give you a little bit. Uh, this is along the uh, a massive main trade route in Rome. So this is a, uh, a province, a little area, a city of Rome. And uh, that doesn't narrow it down a ton because Rome like reigned for 1500 years. So this is about 60 AD. 60 AD. So this is uh, coming off of Jesus' ministry, his death, his resurrection, Pentecost, sending out of the apostles. Now we're getting into uh, the disciples of the apostles, which is uh, really important for a couple of reasons. But probably the main thing is uh, that these guys, these people in Colossae, do not have a firsthand experience of Jesus. That, uh, before then, when the apostles talked about Jesus, they're like, oh, yeah, I probably, I, maybe he fed. I was in the feeding of the 5,000. I was around, or I was very near this. But uh, for these Roman provinces and cities, as the gospel was spreading out, a lot of them did not have a firsthand knowledge or an encounter with Jesus or even the apostles, that Paul had never met these people. But there's a very important reason why uh, he talks to this Roman city. And so uh, if you don't know a lot about Rome, I mentioned a uh, main trade route. So 
One of the things that Rome did, they brought amazing uh, progression through in, in our world today. And one of those things that they did was roads. And you might be thinking, like, that's not a big deal. We have roads everywhere. It's like, well, not back then, okay? Not back then. They did not. Uh, they brought in this road system, and that expedited so much stuff. Trade, uh, resources, traveling. And it kind of made travel something that was available for the common man. And uh, this was incredible if you think about the movement of the gospel, right? Because all of a sudden, uh, words and messages like the gospel can travel so much faster than they could before. And that's an incredible thing. But with that, there are so many cultures, there are so many uh, backgrounds and belief systems, um, ideologies, pagan deities, whatever you want to believe or whatever that was out there in this world, all of a sudden began to spread at an exponential rate unlike ever before. So this is a crazy thing. I think probably the closest uh, understanding that we would have to that is the invention of the internet, otherwise known as the World Wide Web. It's like, a, think about a spider web, right? It just starts to connect people from all over the place, and all of a sudden, you're having conversations with somebody in Timbuktu. <laughs> I don't even know where that is, but you're talking to them in that moment, and it just starts to weave all of these things together. It was a melting pot moment. And so Colossae was a cultural center. It was a melting pot, something that was even known back then. If you read historians, it said the Colossae had everything in their world. They were exposed to so many different things, uh, to so many different beliefs. And uh, even, uh, even in this small time period that we have of, of these historians talking about it, that was the thing, the thing that was noted more than anything else. And you're like, okay, but why is that a significance then, but also to us now? And why would Paul write to them? So this thing is called syncretism. I don't know if you've heard of syncretism before. Maybe you heard it back when you maybe paid attention in high school and your uh, um, social history, your history classes that were taught by football coaches, right? That, that's how that goes, uh, at least in Texas. And syncretism basically is an amalgamation or a blending, if you don't want to use amalgamation, uh, a blending of different religions, cultures, and schools of thought. It's this blending of all of these things. Otherwise, picture that you're in world market, and you're going around with your shopping cart, and you're pulling something off, and it is from Spain. And then you keep going, go to the other aisle, and then all of a sudden, uh, you are in Korea, and you're pulling from th things from there, and you're just blending all this stuff together, and you're like, I'm going to make an incredible meal. And that sounds incredible, right? I'm not, I'm not bashing world market. I think that's a very incredible thing for everybody, but when you start to do that with your beliefs, with your cultures, with uh, your schools of thought, the philosophy of that day, which was huge in Rome and Greece, all of those areas, and you begin to blend those things in, and you take a bunch of new Christians, new, uh, newfound Christians, guess what they're going to start to do? They're going to start to walk the aisles of world market and just start putting their things in a cart like it's a dance move, right? They're just going down and they're just throwing stuff in there and they're like, oh, I'm gonna take a little bit of this because, and it sounds so harmless, right? It's like, well, I have Jesus, but also my neighbor, like he's a really kind guy and he has all of these things on his, uh, on his fireplace and maybe I'll just grab one of those. Or man, this guy, he seems to be so fortunate and lucky in his life, so I need to, maybe I'm gonna worship some of those things and they just blend all of this stuff together in hopes that maybe some of it will go well for them in the future, and Paul is writing to those people because of how dangerous that is, how dangerous syncretism is to the church of Jesus. 
And I think this is even pertinent for us today because, well, we have the internet, right? Uh, but it is not, you don't have to go far at all to get different viewpoints, uh, different philosophies, different uh, schools of thought, cultures. I mean, we, now our entire world is a melting pot. And it is not just a one thought thing where it's everybody believes this, everybody thinks these things, and that's just the way it is. That's not the culture we live in anymore. And part of that is incredible uh, because that means we can share the truth of the gospel to so many different cultures, so many different people that may have never heard that message before. I mean, that accessibility is incredible, but there are dangers that come with it. And so we need to be on watch. We need to be alert. We need to make sure uh, that what we believe, who we are, is not being infiltrated, deceived, and we're not being influenced by the things that are around us. We don't want to retract and run away from culture. We want to be in it, but we don't want to be influenced by it in ways that are negative that would draw us away from Christ. So this message is huge. Now what we're going to do today, really in chapter 2, is where we're going to dive into a lot of those things where Paul is just going to start to almost play whack-a-mole in a sense when it, with all of these theological things like no not to that no not to that uh, we'll get there but really what Paul's going to do in this beginning is in in his introduction to the Colossians is go through the basics he's just going to give them the basics he's going to introduce himself but he says hey we're going to start here with the simple truth of the gospel he said I'm going to call you back to when you first believed and the things that have happened from then because if we don't have the foundation correct, there's no point in going up to the higher thought things. There's no point if we don't have the fundamentals. Think about this, uh, any fundamentals of sports or hobbies or something like that. I think of tennis, I play tennis, I coach tennis. And every once in a while I'd go out there with friends or I'd have some new people that I would be coaching. And uh, two of my friends, like they had never played before in their lives. And I gave them two of my nicer rackets, which is probably a bad idea because they cost money and those guys did not care. And uh, they I, they just like, all right, you guys want to start a match? I'm like, you don't even know what you're doing. Like, you don't even know how to play. And it's like, no, 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 I've seen this enough on TV. Like, I know what, this is not too hard of a sport. And I'm like, all right, you say that, you go play. And they're like, so how does the scoring thing work? And I'm like, I'll just keep the score. You guys just go play. They didn't play tennis. They tried, but it was not tennis what was happening there in that moment. I mean, they were just hitting it over the fence. Uh, they were hitting it into the ground. They were scuffing up the rackets. Like, it was the worst display in the world. Why? Because they didn't know the basics. They had no uh, fundamentals at all. And so if we don't have a foundation, then there's going to be a couple of things that happen. We can't progress. We can't get better. Those guys had no hope of getting better. They didn't know how to hold a racket. They were just... A mess out there so they couldn't progress they couldn't grow and also it is so easy to form bad habits in that moment like the things that they were doing I was cringing I was like that is terrible and then when I started to teach them real form like the second I would actually toss them a ball to hit they just immediately went back to the first thing they did and I'm like no wait, stop doing that <laughs> like why are you doing that? that's not right it's so easy to form bad habits in the beginning of when we're learning stuff and we're a danger to self to ourselves and others. I know you're like, it's just a tennis racket. I've seen some ridiculous things happen when somebody gets in the way of a tennis racket, uh, and it can be a danger to ourselves and others. And this is even greater uh, truth when we think about Christianity. If we don't know the basic truths of the gospel of who God is and who we are, 
then as we progress in our lives, we will not grow in righteousness. We will not grow in truth. We are so easily deceived and influenced to believe all of these other things. And we are a danger to ourselves and to others. So let's jump in. Colossians chapter 1. He introduces himself in the first two verses. Paul, he's an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And he's with Timothy, his brother in the faith. He's writing to the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae. It says, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. Here's how he starts, verse 3. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Notice who Paul thanks in the beginning. He says, we give thanks to God. Why? Verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Since we heard of your faith, remember I said at the beginning, Paul has never met these Colossians. He's never met them. It's through a guy named Epaphras, or Epaphras, if you want to sound cool or weird, I don't know. Uh, Epaphras uh, was a guy that uh, Paul met in Ephesus, which is about 100 miles to the west. And uh, Epaphras is from uh, Colossae. But he was, for whatever reason, there's roads now, so maybe he's just checking out Ephesus. He hears the gospel preached by Paul, becomes uh, converted, becomes a Christian, and then starts to learn from Paul over a stretch of time. And then Epaphras goes back home to his hometown, to Colossae, and he begins to share the gospel with the people there. And it is effective. We don't know how many people here, how many uh, Colossians believers there are, but we know there are some. And over time, he's loving on these people. He's, he's teaching them, uh, doing all the things that he can. And meanwhile, Paul has gone from Ephesus, and now he's in Rome. We've stretched some time. And Paul is in prison in Rome. And Epaphras travels all the way to Rome and begins to tell Paul of all the things that are happening there in Colossae. This is an incredible thing. He's just relating the stories. Man, I, I've shared the gospel, and these people have come to faith. They believe they've understood uh, the grace of God in truth. And it's not just that they believed, but their lives are being transformed, and they love each other. Like, this is an, a community that has created a buzz by the way that they have loved each other. And this is an incredible thing. And so Paul, uh, knowing, he, I don't know, they probably wouldn't use the word syncretism because that's English, for one. Uh, but two, whatever. Uh, Paul knows the dangers that these new Christians are in, especially in the day and age that they were in, of being influenced by so many different things that we'll get into. So this is why Paul writes this letter and he says, man, when I heard of this, we started to pray for you. We're so excited that, that you've come to faith and that you have a love for one another for the church. He says, I thank God for this, which is interesting because you would probably think, whoa, shouldn't he be congratulating the Colossians? Like, shouldn't he say, man, great job, Colossians. You're doing so great. Like, we love that your faith, uh, we love that you're loving one another. Like, man, thank you. It's such an encouragement to us. Like, good job. But he doesn't do that. He says, we thank God for what is happening in you. And the reason because is God is the cause of faith in our lives. God is the cause of faith and love and hope. Faith, hope, and love are, are Christian virtues. You'll hear Paul preach this over and over and over again in the letters that he writes all over. And he says, God is the thing, is behind these things in us. The faith, the love that we have, and the hope that we have. And how all of these things work together. Uh, so let, let's break this down a little bit. 
Verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. So what starts is faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When we hear the gospel, the way to receive it is by faith. That is a belief. That is a trust in who Jesus is, what God has done for us, that we are dependent on that grace, a gift that we cannot earn. And that gift is salvation. The gift is being saved from our sins that we have. We are saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8. And the thing that happens upon our faith is that we are a new creation in Christ. Uh, Ephesians 2, 9 would say we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. Not that we were like reincarnated, but in us we are a new creation. We are born again, as Jesus would say to Nicodemus, that we have a new life with Christ. And so we no longer live for the elementary things of this world. We don't live for sin anymore. We don't live for ourselves. We live for God. And one of those chief fruits is love. And so what happens first is love, and then all of a sudden these, these lives are being transformed. They begin to love each other, and it's, it's different than anything that they've experienced and the people around them have experienced. And I hope that's true of our lives, right? I can think back to, to who I was before I was a believer, and then what happened uh, when God began to change my life? The people around me were like, who are you? Like, what are you doing? Why are you acting this way? Why are you reading that Bible? Like, this is weird, bro. Uh, all of these things that I got as I, uh, in my sophomore year of high school, like the Lord just changed my life when I placed my faith in him. And, and we call it fruit in the Christian life. Like, we just begin to change. We look more and more like Christ, and it just creates a buzz, and there's a difference. And it was even crazy to me uh, because my feelings, my, my motivations, my purpose in life, all of these things began to change. And this is what is happening to the Colossians. But here we have hope come in in verse 5. He says, we have a love for all the saints because of the hope laid up for us in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. So, the Colossians were loving others. Their motivation to love was what? Hope. Hope that was laid up in heaven. Now, hope in the Bible that the Bible speaks of is much different than the hope that we talk about. Hope for us is like a feeling, and it's a, ho it's a possibility. Like, man, I really hope it warms up. Man, I really hope it rains. Or, man, I hope this works out. Like, it's just a feeling that we have, and it's kind of a possibility in our world. Like, maybe it will happen but maybe it won't. Like, we were just not sure, but it's like, hey, maybe, you know? Like, I hope 2021 gets a little bit better than 2020. Like, that's kind of our hope that we have. But the hope of the Bible is a much different thing. In fact, the hope of the Bible is an assurance that it's not an unknown thing at all. It's not a possibility. It's an assurance. Here's what Peter says about hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith 
for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I know that was a lot, so I want to unpack that just a little bit. Uh, but the, the verbiage is so similar here. He says that we were born again. This is that faith moment that Paul is talking about. We were born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So what's happening here, this hope that he is talking about, this living hope, is our relationship with Christ, our peace with God, that we have been reconciled with God, and we will be, we have eternal life, and we will be with God forever and ever and ever in eternity. That is an incredible hope, right? But even more, it's a living hope, because Jesus is living. And we have an assurance that we will be with God if our faith is in him. And here's why it's an assurance. It came through Jesus, and now we obtain an inheritance which is imperishable. It's not going to perish. It's undefiled. It's not going to rot. It's not going to corrupt. And it will not fade away. This is not going anywhere. It is reserved in heaven for you. And we are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation that we are with God in that moment, ready to be revealed in the last time. This is incredible stuff. Uh, and, and that word reserved, if you look back at Colossians 5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. If you could take reserved from 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, 3-5, three, three you would put it with laid up in Colossians 1-5. That our hope... Our salvation with Christ that will be revealed in the last time is reserved. It is laid up. So I want you to think about, uh, we just had Christmas, right? Hopefully you got some wonderful gifts. Um, I hope all of you did. Maybe we'll talk about that later at hangar night of what you get, what did you like, what did you not like, and you're like, what are you going to go back and turn in and, you know, get a different size or whatever because you had too much turkey. I'm not going to name names, whatever it is. But uh, what happens when you think about Christmas uh, maybe you do Christmas gifts uh, for people or your parents do. I think back to my parents. Uh, my, my parents were really good uh, about remembering things, uh, not because in November they were like, okay, what did Jake want last February? Uh, oh, gosh, I can't remember. I don't know. Let's just, let's just get him a gift card. No, what they did is like if, if I wanted something in February when I was a kid, I was like, oh, that would be awesome to have. And then I even forget about that ex the existence of that thing in like two months. But my parents did not. They went and bought it. And they put it up in our attic, which was always locked, so I could never get in. And, and they just stored those things. My mom would wrap it up, and she'd have it all ready. And, and then come Christmas time, you get the tree out. You lay that, what is that thing that just sits under the tree? A skirt. There it is. A tree skirt. Not a skirt. and Not a real skirt. It's a tree skirt, right? You lay that thing out. And then my mom puts the bow on it, writes, to Jake from Santa, because I still oh, hope it didn't break any hearts right now. Uh, but to Santa, or from whatever, I don't know what I'm saying. I got distracted. Uh, to Jake, and it's sitting there, and that is reserved. It is laid up, prepared for me on the day of Christmas. No one's going to touch that thing because the attic is locked. I don't even know it's in there because I think Santa delivers them all on Christmas night. I don't even know how that happens. Maybe the time changed to me. That's why I believed it. But it was reserved there for me that my parents had prepared that for me. And this was something that wasn't going to go away. Nothing was going to happen to it. There was nothing that I could do that would ruin that gift, right? I mean, maybe if I was bad, then maybe they were like, wow, we're going to rip this up. We're going to sell it, and then we're going to get them coals if I was terrible or something like that. But that's not what happens. 
And that's not how the Christian faith works. And I think this is a really beautiful thing that hope, that our eternal life with Jesus is sealed. It is reserved and it is laid up for us in heaven. That this is not something that we're going to lose. This is not something that's going to perish. It is reserved for us. It's laid up for us in heaven. Jesus says this in John 14. Uh, he says, do not, be trou- don't, do not let your hearts be troubled. Uh, you believe in God, believe also in me. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms. He says, I go and prepare a place for you. He says, I will come back and I will get you and I will bring you to myself and you will be with me. This is what Jesus has done. He has prepared a place for us. And you might be asking, like, how is this an assurance? Like, how do you know for sure? Like, shouldn't, like, what if I mess up? What if I do all these things? Is it going to be like Santa? Like, am I going to get colds? Is it all of these things? Like, no, no, no. That's not how the gospel works. That's not how our Christian life works. That when we have been saved, that is stamped. When we are right with God, that is stamped. And our performance was never the indicator of our being saved. And it is never a thing that we would lose our salvation by our performance. Because it is not our performance that makes us right with God. It is Jesus' performance on the cross that makes us right with God. And we place our faith in that finished work. You see, when Jesus said, it is finished, he meant it. And Jesus, who went to the cross, will not give up on us after we have messed up, we've had a bad day, and we need to just pick ourselves up and be like, ah, I just don't feel like God loves me anymore. Jesus went to the cross for us, and so it is an assurance for us. We are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So this is why Paul thanks God at the beginning because it was God from the beginning and to the end that saves us, that sets us free from sin and preserves us to the end of our lives to where we were with him in eternity. This is justification. This is sanctification. This is what it is for us as believers that we walk in those things. And so we give thanks to God for what has happened in us. And when Epaphras goes out and he shares of all of these things, They give glory to God for the changed work of the Colossians. God is the efficient cause of anything good and anything guaranteed in our lives. Now, here's the question. Why does that hope motivate love in the believer's life? Like, why does my hope for eternity, why does my heavenly minded, my knowing that I have an eternity with God, how does that motivate me to love here in this world? And so... Maybe you've heard a phrase, something along the lines of uh, people, some people get so heavenly minded that they are of no earthly good. I don't know if you've heard that phrase before. Um, I don't exactly know where it comes from, who said it, or, or my guess is that uh, it's somebody that's like spent 20,000 years in seminary and like reading and they just kind of lock themselves in a room. But then when they get around other people, they're just kind of like hateful and prideful and arrogant and they ever actually like live out their faith all they do is just spend time reading and studying and doing all of those things and here's the deal like that's that's not what a a heavenly minded person looks like it's not uh what we should come and like oh don't be too heavenly minded because then you're going to be of no earthly good for christ that's not 
the truth. I think actually the inverse is true, is that we can be so earthly-minded that we are of no heavenly good. And what I mean by that is that we can get so locked in in this world and doing uh, our life here that we just hit another episode on Netflix. Actually, we don't even hit another Netflix. It's going to take a second there. We don't even have to hit the Netflix thing anymore, right? They're that good. They're like, oh, we're just going to go ahead and fill that bar. You don't even have to touch it. You can just sit back. Don't get up. I know you're under your blanket, and it's kind of cold right now, so we'll just go to the next episode for you. Is that okay? Okay, great. Right? And then we just sit there, and it's been six hours, and you finished every season, and you're like, what is my life now? (laughs) Right? Uh, And it is that, like, we get so earthly-minded living for this world because we think, man, I got to get my money. I got to be famous. I got to have a great status. I got to get these things, and we want to try and... uh, Uh, obtain and obtain and obtain and get all of this stuff that we're just living for and it all goes away in the end and we get so earthly minded that we are of no heavenly good and what i mean by heavenly good i think of the lord's prayer it says hallowed be your name our father in heaven hallowed be your name that someone that is heavenly minded has a a delight and awe a reverence for god that they want to make much of god in their own lives but also in sharing that with everyone that around them, hallowed a reverence for God's name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven that we, we so badly want to see God's way, God's will done on this earth. And it's less of like uh, physical things and tangible things, even though I, I, I have a great desire to see sin no longer be marked in my life or any of your lives. And all of this junk that is just part of our broken world, but even more so, it's in the hearts of people that we want God's kingdom to reign. For Jesus Christ to rule and lord over people's lives, that we would be surrendered to him. That we say, man, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That we want to see God's restoration work over the hearts and lives of people in this world. And say, God, I'm about that. And so when we are so heavenly minded, We want to live that out in our lives, and that hope, that hope that we have, that delight in the thought of, I get to be in heaven forever and ever and ever, and I'm going to live for that, I'm going to live for eternity, all of a sudden makes this world look really, really small and insignificant, right? Maybe that raise, maybe making six digits, Uh, Maybe getting these things, this status, this amount of followers, whatever it may be, all of a sudden gets really significant and something not that worthwhile of putting our whole life's purpose and stock into. See, maybe I'm going to live for something that lasts, that is imperishable, that is undefiled, that is reserved in heaven for us because that's not going away. Even if I fail, even if I mess up, even if I stumble, even if I don't do it perfectly, That's not going away. Francis Chan has an incredible analogy for this. He has like this massive rope. I'm not going to buy a massive rope because I don't even know where to start. I guess Amazon. But anyways, not the point. (laughs) He has this massive rope and he just wraps it around the sanctuary uh, that they are in. And it is just going and going. Like people have to step over it as they're entering into the sanctuary. And then at the very end, like he just kind of has one end of the rope and the rest is just going. I don't even know how long this is. It just kind of baffles me at the thought of it, but also as I saw it on YouTube, so maybe it's not that long. But anyway, not the point of the analogy. Uh, And what he has at the very end of that rope is just a little piece of red tape. It's like that long, like two inches long. 
And he said, this rope that you're looking at that just goes and goes and goes and goes, everything but this red piece of tape is eternity. He says, the analogy breaks down because eternity is never going to end. There is no end of that rope. So this analogy is even of greater uh, degree. But he says, this little piece of red tape is our life here on earth. That's all it is. He says, when I put it in perspective like that, it's kind of crazy that we spend so much of our time living for this piece of red tape, right? Like we spend so much time, I want this, and I want to get this job, and I want to get this car, and I want to be with this person, and I want to do these things, and I want to have this much money, and I want to have a really great house, and I want people to think this of me, and I want people to think that of me, and I want to get this GPA, all of this stuff. Like we put so much time in this earthly stuff, and we spend so little time investing in eternity. Man, when you put it in perspective like that, it's like, what are we doing? And so how does hope motivate us to love, to live for God? It's understanding that's who we are. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are foreigners on this world. We're exiles. We're just passing through, says Scripture. And so while we're passing through, we be about eternal things. The movement of the gospel, that's what you're going to see in verse 6. He says, this is all what we heard, faith, hope, and love, these things you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. Verse 6, which has come to you, just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, that the gospel has become a global thing. And this is what Jesus talks about in Acts 1.8. He says it's going to start in Jerusalem, this, this small epicenter, and then it's going to go to Judea, the province, and then it's going to go to Samaria, the next town, to the outer ends of the earth. The gospel is going out. It starts small, and it spreads, and it spreads, and it spreads. And I bet if you told the apostles in that moment, you're like, hey, this place called Denton, Texas, yeah, it's going to get there too. And even greater than that, and Jesus knew all along that the gospel was going to go global. And it is an incredible thing to see the gospel here in 2021 is still moving, it is still bearing fruit, and it is still increasing, that it is spreading. But it's not just going outwards. Look at the second half of verse 6. Even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth. So here's the cool part of the gospel. It's not just like, oh, here's a card, sweet, you now know the gospel. Just like when you die, just hold this card up and then you're going to get in heaven and like just live your life, do all those things. That's not how the gospel works. But when we hear it and understand the grace of God in truth, the gospel begins to work in our lives and it deepens in us. That the gospel does a work in us. This is sanctification, the process of us being more and more like Christ day after day after day being conformed into the image of his son that we bear fruit and we increase in our lives that we look more like God. Isn't that an incredible thing that the gospel spreads, but it also deepens in the lives of believers day after day after day. And I think about being, like the gospel being a global thing and I mean that just pumps me up, just the thought of it. I mean, we're here in Denton, Texas and it started in Jerusalem like, that's a wild thing to me of how it spreads, but also how it deepens and, and how global it is. And I don't know if, about you, but man, when I think about that, I'm like, I want to go. 
Right? Like, I want to go somewhere. I just want to bring the gospel to people. I had a bunch of friends that I was able to support um, in, in college. And uh, I'm, I am uh, Ecuador. I was blanking on that name. I was like, please remember this name. They were in Ecuador, and they were going on the Amazon River, and this is something they built these relationships for like 10 to 15 years. It was one of my buddies, his parents started going on this trip, and they just continued to build these relationships and build these relationships and build these relationships, and then a bunch of my friends uh, were able to go on this trip, and so they go to Ecuador, and they're in the Amazon uh, River, and uh, they just have all of these guys that like are native speakers, and they have one person that can kind of translate for them and uh, these guys just have machetes and they're just, machetes, machetes, and they're just chopping stuff down and they're like breaking all this new stuff and they're just sweating it out. But here's the crazy thing. In their like 10 days there, uh, they were able to meet uh, two local tribes there that had never heard the gospel ever before. Never heard the name of Jesus. Like it was a unreached, untouched people group. I mean, that's incredible. Uh, stuff like that just pumps me up and my roommate um, he was a part of a, a just a global sending a missionary uh, group in Dallas where they just sent people out all over the world and they have all these statistics and this stuff of like by the I think it's like by 2028 everywhere in the world will have heard the gospel and like that's this movement I'm like I want to go right like let's go let's do a massive college ministry mission trip let's go places and let's change the world the gospel is going global and I get so pumped up and I don't think that's a bad thing, right? I want the gospel to go global. But before that happens, look at verse 7. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant who is, faith, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. Here's what we need to know. God's chief instrument, God's chief tool, the thing that he, his means of gospel spread is faithful servants flourishing where they're planted. That Epaphras went back home with the gospel. And I, mean, I imagine that's, that might be a pretty awkward thing. They're like, bro, we used to party with you. What are you talking about all this stuff? You're like, my life's changed. Like, you need to know this. The, yes, the gospel is global, but it's also local. And it's something that Mel Summerall, our 95-year-old founder of our church, uh, I've heard him have the same conversation with so many guys and myself as well and he'll talk to aspiring missionaries and do all these things and like man I want to go to this place and I want to go to here and here and here and here and here and he stops them and he says hey I love that you want to go all over the place and he says but first what have you done here what are you doing here he says before you go over there where you don't even know like the, their language, like you're, that's, that's an away game over there. What are you doing on your home court? Because if you think you can go over there and do all these things before you're doing it here on a consistent basis, he says, you, you're wrong. You're deceived. What are you doing? And so the greatest thing for us is to flourish right here where we are planted. How can we be faithful in these little moments? How can we be faithful in these little moments so that's our coworkers, that's our classmates, that's our friends, that's our family, our roommates. That's the question we need to be asked. How can we be an Epaphras? How can we be a faithful servant? 
in the little things of our lives, in the little moments. You know, when the, when the Spirit just kind of tugs on your heart and you're like, I should probably talk to that guy. It happens to me every time at the gas station. Like every time I start pumping gas and then somebody pulls up uh, in like the one across from me and they kind of get out. I'm like, how's it going? And they're like, good. I'm like, I'm never gonna see this person again. Why not? Like, <laughs> I just share, right? Like, just be faithful in these little moments. And, and I think there's a part of it that thinks, man, it's just, it would be easier if I just go to Germany and share the gospel and like that's how I'm going to do it but then when we're right here in these moments we're like nah I don't know I don't know about this let me just tell you like I've been I've been to Austria multiple times I've been in so many different places it's not easier it's actually much harder because you're nervous and you don't know what they're saying like that's just a tougher deal in general man we need to be faithful here in these moments and so here's the question what would it look like for us right here in Denton Texas in our classrooms at at T-Dub, at UNT, at NCTC, Go Lions, don't forget about you, uh, in your workplaces, whatever it is, what would it look like for us to be faithful? To be faithful in the little things. And I'm not saying don't go to Germany. I'm just saying, hey, we start here. We start here to love on people, to share the good news. And it's not like God needs us. God could do whatever he wants. It's the cool and beautiful part is that God chooses to use us. Think about like God could just do that Hunger Games thing, you know, where he just calls over the loudspeakers when the cannon goes off and somebody dies and that's really sad. But God could just kind of like do that to the whole world and be like, by the way, in all the languages, like my son Jesus, you know, he just like shares the God, believe. Yeah, like that, God could do those things. He is that big, that powerful, but yet God is so interested and invested in our lives and he chooses to use us though he does not need us why because it gives us an opportunity to be obedient because it is God's good pleasure to use us and it brings glory to him when we walk in faithful obedience trusting that God is able that God is with us and he is faithful and God is worth sharing the good news, the gospel is worth sharing. Even if it's awkward, uh, even if this might happen, even if they might reject us, even if they might just be like, you know, that great fear that they're just gonna be the smartest atheist in the planet Earth. And you're like, how am I talking to this person right now? And you're like, we have these fears. God is worth all of those fears. And we're in the business of obedience. God is in the business of outcomes. We are just faithful in those moments. And so... Man, there's so many places to start as I think of applications from this text of, man, how, how do we walk in these things? I, I think, man, the people that are nearest to you, I hope maybe names are starting to, to work through your head of like, man, I, I know this person doesn't really know the gospel. I know this. Or maybe it's, it's later today or tonight when you're just out and about. I, well, go to sleep. It's going to be late. But uh, whatever it is, like you have all of these opportunities, but then also here, just what we want to be, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, as a college ministry, our vision of what we want to be is a ministry of students to students. That's why we have, I mean, this is a totally student-led worship band. Uh, and, and the Christian faith is not just a bunch of professionals and then everybody else. That's not how the body works. The whole body needs the whole body that we are ready. We are all in this together. Cue High School Musical. No, don't actually, please. Uh, but I mean, this <laughs> starts clapping, that's how it all starts, right? Um, sorry, I didn't mean to digress there. Don't miss this point. Uh, we want to be a, mini a ministry of students to students. We, as a group, we are a sending ministry, maybe across the world. 
but at least right here where we're planted, we want to send you out. We want to equip saints. This is Ephesians 4.12. We want to equip saints for the work of ministry. That is you guys. We want to equip you. We want to do everything you can for the rest of your life for the work of ministry, for the movement of God's kingdom to be used however he sees fit. So there's a tons of ways. Uh, we just start in simple ways. As, I mean, it, it starts with holding out doors and just connecting with people out here and uh, leading into leading small groups that we have, our foundation groups, uh, that you have an opportunity to just be used by God in a variety of ways. It's not just here in college ministry. We have a student ministry. You're about to see a really cool graphic about Eden here in just a second. Uh, you can serve and invest in the lives of middle school students, in the lives of high school students. And we have a kids ministry. There's so many ways. I mean, we have a prison ministry. I don't think it's on right now because of COVID, but like you can literally go into the prisons and just be faithful to share the gospel and love on people there. I mean, the opportunities are endless but I'm not so concerned with where you are serving. I'm simply concerned that you are faithful to what God is calling us to. My job is just to explain this text and to, and to apply it to our lives. Because when we walk in these things, when we live this stuff out, God is glorified and we are changed. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Let me pray and, and we'll respond in worship. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, someone was faithful to share the gospel with us. Maybe it was our parents. Uh, maybe it was friends. Maybe it was uh, a pastor at our church. Uh, whoever or whatever means you used to draw us to yourself, we thank you that you did it. We thank you that you opened our eyes to see of your goodness, to understand your grace, this gift that we did not deserve, this, this favor that uh, we could not earn on our own, that we have an assurance, a hope. And I pray that all of our hopes would be in you, that we would not put hope in our performance, uh, we would not put hope in our goodness. Uh, we would not put hope in, in how smart we are and the things that we believe and, and the signs that we know that, that this credits you or whatever that may be. But our hope is not in what, but it is in you. That you are our hope. What you have done on the cross, conquering sin and death, raising up from the dead is enough for us to know you, to have life with you. So, Father, would you move in us? Uh, would you bring about transformation? Would you open doors for all of my friends here to, uh, to share the gospel, to share the good news, the ways that we have been changed? Would you prompt their hearts uh, to be involved in ministry in this church, uh, whether it's with us, college ministry, or a variety of ways, Lord, that we would just start taking little steps, uh, little steps of faith, just starting somewhere and trusting you uh, that as we go deeper, you are still there. As we take those leaps of faith, you are still there. Lord, we love you a ton, and we praise you now. In Jesus' name, amen.